Well, my name is Jenny Hesseltine, and I'm the director of community here at Third Church, which means I get to do a lot of things that I really, really love every single day of the week. Um, this morning, I get the opportunity to kind of lead us in a little bit of a family meeting. So I don't know if you grew up in a family of origin that ever had family meetings, or if you facilitate those within your own families now, but when I was growing up, we primarily would have a family meeting for one or two purposes. Um, potentially to plan something really exciting together or to brainstorm together and maybe do some problem solving together. So this morning, I actually propose that we get to do both as a family. We get to plan something really exciting, kind of based around, I really don't wanna use the word problem, but problem solving is maybe the best way that I know to characterize it. Um, we have this incredible opportunity in front of us, this challenge that is the number of people that are coming to this service in particular and to this church. It is such a great thing and we're ex so excited about what the Lord is doing and the hearts that are being transformed and the people that are coming and joining this family. And so don't hear what I'm not saying. This isn't a problem to be solved, but it does require some planning and it requires some strategy and some culture creation and some ways that we can come together as a family and welcome new families members in really well together. So that is our task in this family meeting this morning. And I want to share just a few ways with you that I believe that we can really prepare our culture to be one that welcomes well as new family members join us. I'm going to start with a quote that is not um, directly from scripture, but it's based on the prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, where he he prays for the, the final time before he goes to the cross. And he's praying in this prayer for unity. He's praying for the believers, not only that he has gotten to walk with and influence firsthand in his time on this earth, but he's praying for us. He's praying for those of us who are walking this earth now. And the main thing that he prays for is that we would all be unified so that we can properly share what the kingdom looks like to others who come among us. So this quote is based on that, and it's by a woman named Christine Pohl, who's been highly influential in my own life and my own view of hospitality. And it says, the best testimony to the truth of the gospel is the quality of our life together. Jesus risked his reputation and the credibility of his story by tying them to how his followers, we, live and care for one another in community. That's a powerful statement. And that gives us this challenge of this high responsibility of creating a culture that welcomes others well and that shows that we share a life together that is one of kingdom purpose and kingdom impact and one that is rooted and grounded in his love. And so this morning, I wanna just share with you a few key ways that I believe that we as a family can really embrace this kingdom culture and be ready to welcome in even more families family members. Some of them are more about the posture of our hearts, and some of them are really practical, tangible things. So I'm going to go both places with us this morning. Um, I think, first of all, just all of us being able to take that view of the 
how highly regarded it is the way that we share our life together. I think it's a commonly heard phrase that you might be the only Jesus that someone else sees or you might be the only Bible that another person gets to read. That puts it on a really individual level and that's a great thing. Those things I think are true. I think it's important how we live our individual lives. But this takes it to a new level in saying it's the quality of our shared life together that really is able to reflect the truth of the gospel. And so I want to challenge us to just put ourselves in that posture of recognizing that it's how we interact with each other and how we welcome others in that might just be what expresses the truth of the gospel to them. And so as we think about welcoming people in, I want to think about what does it look like to show that we honor one another? That This going back two years ago, um, at this exact week, we were talking about what it looks like to create kingdom culture in kingdom community. We talked about four main things, being real, showing mercy, honoring one another, and then being transformed. So I'm gonna take us back to that H, the RMHT logo that you still see around, hopefully on t-shirts and stickers and all kinds of things. We're going back to that H of honoring one another. So what does it look like for it to be made known and well-known that we honor each other in this place? And one of the ways that I think we can do that is to be ready for new family members to join us. So I think honoring one another looks like a few tangible things. It looks like getting cozy in our rows here in the sanctuary so that as people come in, they can be welcomed all the way into this room. Um, we love it that we have an extension of the sanctuary in the narthex right now, but the reality is looking around, there are lots of seats still available in this room, right? And so honoring one another in this case might look like getting cozy with a neighbor so that there's room for other people to join us in this space. Um, another way that we can honor those who are coming in is to think about um, the other ways that we utilize this facility and specifically in parking. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I experienced it firsthand coming in a little late a couple weeks ago when my husband was out of town. I was trying to wrangle four kids and get them here on time and we pulled up and it was like, what is going on? The parking lot was crazy and there was not a single spot. But as I tried to put myself in the shoes of someone who was new or visiting the church, I thought about, wow, if this was what my experience was and I was driving around lap after lap trying to find a spot and I didn't know where to go, I might actually just turn around and pull out and go back home instead. So what would it look like if those of us who are in this family said, you know what, I wanna make sure that that's not somebody else's experience. I'm gonna intentionally park at Jefferson. I'm gonna intentionally park at the middle school so that there are always parking spaces available on this campus for that first time guest who doesn't know where else parking might be available. I specifically want to encourage us that if you're coming for the purpose of worship and discipleship or serving on a Sunday morning and you're going to be here for longer than one service time, would you especially consider parking off-site? The reality is that these parking spaces are needed for every single service. And so if I come in and I'm going to be here all morning and I take a spot in our lot, then that's potentially three other cars that can't get in there. So again, I wanna say all of this with the excitement and the encouragement of what a great thing this is that we get to solve and go after together and encourage you to take some practical next steps to honor one another well and so that we can honor our guests as they're coming in as well. 
So thanks for being such a great team in this. Thank you for being a culture of people who are attracting so many others to join this family. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, we thank you for the high honor and the high responsibility that you gave us, that the quality of our shared life together might reflect who you are and what your kingdom looks like. And I thank you for these beautiful people of Third Church who exhibit that so well. And God, I thank you for an opportunity to take that culture of honor to the next level as we welcome more into our family. I thank you, God, that that there are ways that, that you give us to show that we honor one another. And so would we be a people who do that well? And would we welcome well those who desire to join us? Would we welcome them with open arms and open hearts? And would we show them the reality of what your kingdom is like? We want to do this because we love you and we're so grateful that you are who you are and that we get to join you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jenny. Can I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1? And we're going to, I'd like to, if you allow me, I'm going to, I thought Jenny was incredibly tactful and well-spoken. I'm going to not be as well-spoken. Can I blow up your idea of holiness? That's not a good word. Can I expand to it? May I deepen it? Let's do that together. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to just read three verses, and I want to talk about holiness by beginning with a story. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and specifically the idea of holiness in verses 14, 15, 16. The text reads, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. People of God, these are the words of God. So what does it mean to be holy? Can you throw some things out? When you think holiness, what do you think? I talked about last week in my family growing up, you didn't drink alcohol, didn't have sex outside marriage, and you went to church on Sunday. That was holy. What's, what, what, what does holiness mean? To you, just, just, yes, Jim. What? Totally separate. Thank you, Jim. What else? What does holiness mean to you? Lane. Wholeness. Very good. Somebody else? Holiness. Not, not a trick question. Asking for opinions. Abiding. Very good. Thanks, Kat. What? Louder. Fullness of joy. Okay. Somebody else over here? Come on, section. Rich, what do you got? Following the footsteps of Jesus. All right and all good. But how if I took it farther than you, than that? Let me tell you a story that came out of the summer when Lane and I went to, uh, to Bend, Oregon, and we did grief counseling. And uh, many of you know we lost our son about 18 months ago, and we went to counseling uh, together to, to process his death in life. And our counselor, a unique person, told us a story. So I'm going to tell you this story, but I want to caveat it first. I in no way mean to be offensive or hurtful as I tell the story. My desire is that it is redemptive and illustrates holiness 
in a different way, perhaps, than you thought before. So our friend's name, our counselor, was Joseph. When he was in his early 30s, he was invited to a counseling conference, three, 4,000 people in a great big room, sitting in the back room, back row. And in the midst of the conference, the head person just said, time out. I think we need to pray for younger people here. So he invited the people over 55 or 60 to come up onto the platform and anyone who was under 30 to come up who wanted prayer. They would just lay hands on them and pray for them. So our friend Joseph is in the back row of three or 4,000 people. And as he is watching all this, he, I'm not involved, I'm 30 years old, doesn't apply to me. He looked up on the platform and all of a sudden he saw the vis a vision of Jesus a bright presence of Jesus on the platform. And with Jesus were two hands like this on the heads of two little boys. And so in his mind eye, he's having a conversation with the Lord. What he sees, and he asks, Lord, who is this? And Jesus said, these are your sons. And he fell to the ground and wept. As he laid there in a puddle of tears, crying deep, deep, deep tears, he sensed the Lord saying, come up onto the platform. So he walked up onto the platform and said, Lord, who are these? And Jesus said, these are the sons that you aborted. He again hit the ground and wailed. And the Lord said, stand up. So he stood up, Jesus standing in front of him. He said, I want you to meet your sons. This is Daniel, and this is Isaiah. And he just wept. But what was interesting was the look of Jesus to him. When he introduced the story to us, he said to Lane and me, I murdered two sons. That's how he introduced it to us. But as he looked into the eyes of Jesus, what he saw was incredible love and acceptance. And as he wept, he was overcome by this love. And then Jesus said to him, why don't you talk to your sons? So Joseph said to Daniel and Isaiah, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I encouraged your mother to have abortions. And what he saw in his sons were eyes filled with love. And Joseph told us his life changed because he experienced the holy love of Jesus. What if I suggested to you that holiness is not about rules? What if I said to you holiness is about love? Let's look at this. Would you open your Bibles, please? Leviticus chapter 19. So you notice in our first Peter passage, the quote is from Leviticus. So let me take you through the passage where this is found and allow me to begin to 
to add to our understanding of holiness. I'm going to read a few verses out of chapter 19. So this is part of the, the called the holiness code of the Jewish people. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, 9 through 16, 33, and 37. So please hear these words from the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or, ga or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about slandering among your people. Verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as you love yourself, for you once were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Verse 37, keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord, your God. People of God, these are the words of God. So what we used to do, what the church has done over the ages, as did the Israelites, is you develop a codified set of rules. These are in, these are out. These are good, these are bad. What if I just brought you the themes that's in the Holiness Code in chapter 19? These are the themes. How you relate in your family is supposed to be about love, and that's holiness. Sacred spiritual practices are supposed to be done in love. That's holiness. The rights of employees, how workers are treated, is tied to love, and that's holiness. Compassion for the least, relationships with neighbors, sexual integrity, racial equality, business practices, all these are part of the code. Now what happened was, then and then in our tribe, we developed these codified rules and laws, in, out, good, bad. So in my family growing up, right? No alcohol, no sex, go to church, you're holy. But what if I told you it's far more than that? It's the story of Joseph with his two sons. There was obviously Jesus present, and he was holy. He was other. But what did Joseph experience? An amazing love, an acceptance, a welcome in spite of brokenness and pain and sin. What if holiness is not, first of all, about rules, but about relationships. So let me play it with you now. Where did we get the Ten Commandments from? Leviticus 19. You can find the Ten Commandments in Leviticus 19. So now let's jump to Jesus. Here's the holiness code. Jesus was questioned by someone, so Lord, how do you summarize the law? What's the law mean? What did Jesus say? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Commandments one, two, three, four. Love the Lord your God. Not practices, rules, and regulations. And then what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Commandments five, six, seven, eight, nine. To love God and love neighbor, according to Jesus, is holiness. Well, think about it. If we kept the first four commandments, we would have no idols. We would be whole in our understanding of who our God is, and we'd be rich in that relationship. And how about if we kept the, sixth, the other six commandments? You wouldn't have to worry about someone stealing or slandering or committing adultery with your spouse or whatever there would be absolute love and acceptance everywhere because we obeyed the commandments. So the commandments, listen now, are fundamentally about love. Love God, love people, Jesus said. You fulfill the whole law. Well, that, do you think about holiness like that? Do you think of, so, so imagine, imagine now, you're Joseph. And Jesus is on the platform. And something you've done in your past is the most painful self-condemnatory, shame-producing thing of your life. And you are fully exposed. What would your Jesus do to you? So this is what John Calvin and A.W. Tozer and everyone says, the single most important thing about any person is what they think about God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you want to know what holiness looks like? Holiness looks like Jesus. Well, I don't know about this. Sounds pretty wishy-washy. Would you look at Acts chapter 11? Page numbers on the screen. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at verses 1 through 10. And then 15 through 18. So you remember chapter 10 is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Now he's in trouble in chapter 11, so watch him describe it. Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Remember I told you about a year ago? They were flaming mad. They were stinking hot mad. They were hot mess mad. And they said to him, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with him. And we read, read those words and go right past it. So let me make it real clear. He was violating, what he was told to do was violating what they've been told not to do for thousands of years. You don't touch Gentiles. You don't go to a Gentile house. You don't go through a Gentile region. You stay away from those dirty pigs. What was the prayer of the rabbis? I thank you, God. I'm not a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. That was their prayer. That's what they prayed. And now the Lord is saying, what? Go hang out with the scumbags. And the, and the circumcised, the leaders in Jerusalem say, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You're breaking the holiness code. You can't do this. This is against the rules. Next verse. Verse four. So starting from the beginning, Peter told him the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. In a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where it was. 
I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice. Whose voice? Whose voice? Jesus' voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice came from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Verses 11 through 14, they come in the house. Something powerful happens. Verse 15, as I began to speak to these Gentiles, the Holy Spirit came on them as he come on us at the beginning. I remember what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when God gave the same gift he gave us to them, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections for about a month. And they praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has repentance, repent, granted repentance that leads to life. It lasted a short time. For a short time, they could acknowledge God's grace is greater than the rules. So one of the questions that we're going to start raising in the coming weeks is this. How far does your concept of grace go? How far, how much grace do we offer ourselves? So just imagine, go back to my friend Joseph. So he's standing and, and sees Jesus in the front and he sees the two sons who he encouraged two women to abort. I want you to put your, in your worst sin, your worst decision ever, how far does grace extend to you? Can you forgive yourself for some decision of the past? Or does your Jesus go, you scumbag. You deserve you. And let's go this way. And what about other people? When people hurt or wrong or dishonor, when someone posts something about you on social media, how do you respond? How did Jesus respond? Say, so listen to this now. You want to know what holiness is and what it looks like? Look at Jesus. Give you some examples. What was Jesus accused of by the religious, rule-keeping, holiness people? He's a friend of prostitutes, and he's a drunk, a wine-bibber. A question, where must Jesus have been to be called a drunk and a friend of prostitutes? Hello? Or how about this? When people had leprosy in Jesus' day, what were they to do? They were to yell, unclean, 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 and everyone was supposed to stay 30 yards away. What did Jesus do? Jesus violated the holiness code, and he touched them. What does holiness look like? It looks like Jesus. Is that how you understand holiness? Do you understand holiness like I did growing up? No, no, no. Holy. What did Jesus say? Here's the whole law. Love God, love people. What's love mean? Four words in the Greek New Testament for love. Eros, phileo, storge, agapao. 
The word, I said this last week, the word that Jesus used is agapao. So listen to carefully. This is the Dallas Willard's definition. For God so loved, so agapao, he gave his only son. Agapao carries no emotions or feelings. Zero. None. To love like that is to will, to choose, to bless the other. So my friend Joseph sees Jesus standing in the back row from the front, the two sons. And what did Jesus say with him? You're going to rot in hell, you idiot, horrible person, because of what you did. And what he experienced in the, in the otherness of Jesus is the love and welcome. The welcome Jenny was talking about. Is this making sense? Do you understand Jenny's whole point of being welcoming and honoring hospitality? Folks, that's holiness. It's not who's in, who's out. It's how we relate to each other. How we treat each other. Well, let me go a little farther on this one. Can I have a slide number six? Here's my simple definition. Holiness isn't biblically defined by a simple formula. At its core, the biblical vision of holiness is relational. A couple quick quotes about 1 Peter. Listen to this. The Lord's purpose in the world is not so much, and Jenny talked about this, is the creation of holy individuals, but the creation of a holy people whose lifestyle and relationships are testimony to Christ and his kingdom. So think of us now. The Bible says Jesus is the head of the body. How every single one of us in this room live all week long affects the whole body and what people think about Jesus. How you work, how you do sports, how you interact with people, roommates, family, jobs, employers, employers, all of those things, all of us together, point to Jesus or they don't. So I can watch porn by myself. That doesn't bother anybody. That's not a problem. I can cheat on my taxes. That doesn't bother anybody. That's not a problem. I can lie. To, I, can lie I can slander. I can post really bad stuff on social media. That's not a big problem. I can, get drunk. I can go to the club and I can just drink six, seven beers and just get crazy mad and say horrible things. Someone in our church, somebody I know, had too many drinks of alcohol and says to the waitress in a public setting, pull your shirt up. Guess what? He goes here. So how's Third Reformed Church known at that place? A bunch of sexist idiots. Really? Pull your shirt up. Really? How we act, what we say, what we do, together, together, reveals the goodness of the kingdom of God. So holiness isn't about just rules. It's about relationships. So, question number seven, slide seven, please. This is what I used last week, and I want to just put, uh, I want you to think about, could you think about a situation where you have to make a decision about holiness, how you want to define it? What, what you watch, what you say, what you do, how you spend, whatever. 
So here are three questions that I'd like to help us inform what we choice we make. Does this choice conform to the character of Jesus? Is the decision I'm going to make that you're going to make look like Jesus? Come on. Be Joseph. You see Jesus standing with the two worst things you have ever, 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 ever done. And that one looks at you in holiness, which is love. And you know what you did was wrong, but you know you are accepted and welcomed. Is your choice conforming to the character of Jesus? How about the next one? Does the choice I'm considering, you're considering, reveal an appropriate response to the marvel of our salvation? I'm going to go one more time. Did it last week, I'll do it one more time, then I won't do it again for a while. Remember, someday, the scriptures say Jesus is coming back, amen? And when he comes back, there's gonna be judgment, amen? And when you stand before him, what's he gonna say? You stinking scumbag, you had two abortions. You know what, you just need to rot in hell because you're just terrible. If you have a relationship with Christ, you are en Christo. You've been born again of imperishable seed, First Peter chapter one. You have been given new life and regenerated, and you're becoming wholer every day in Christ. You will stand before Jesus, and what he will say to you on judgment day is, welcome home. It is so good to have you here. Do you all know that? That's the marvel of our salvation. We can keep sinning. Little sin, hopefully, hopefully we're sinning less. Is that, can I say that? Let me just stop for a second. Is this true? Is this true of you? Are you finding yourself as you grow in Christ sinning or wanting to sin less? And I know many of you, and the answer I know because I know you is yes. What does that mean? You're becoming more like Christ. But back to this. Because of what Christ has done, the marvel of your salvation, why would we want to diminish this incredible, awesome, unbelievable love? Can you imagine this? On the day that Christ returns, he's going to say to you, welcome home, my child. Whenever we see our kids, oh, you know this, whenever our kids' family lives far away, you see them, what do you do? You hug them and you kiss them. It's so good to see you. Think about this. We have three sons who live on the earth and one who lives with Jesus. And I've said this many times in the last 27 years. Those of you who know me know I love our church family. Agapao, I love, I love you. But you all know, because I've told you, I would never sacrifice one of my kids for any one of you. No way. So how much love is in the heart of God when he allowed his one and only son to die for us? You think on Judgment Day, after he's made that sacrifice, if we respond to it, he's going to go, you idiots! You just go to hell because you live one crappy life. It is by grace that we are saved, not by works, lest anyone boast. How big, how much grace is there? How much grace? 
And the last one, will this choice stand up to scrutiny on the day of Christ? Remember, you're not judged for your salvation if you're in Christo, but you'll be judged. Listen now, listen now. You will be judged for, listen, the scriptures say for every single word you have ever spoken. You'll be judged by how you handled the resources and people the Lord's entrusted to you. And what's the purpose of that judgment? To give you rewards. The marvel of our salvation is not only that we're accepted forever in Christ, we're also rewarded. And I think what we're gonna do on Judgment Day when he gives us rewards, give them back, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So my question is, as we think about holiness, does it conform to the character of Christ? Does it appropriately respond to the marvel of our salvation? And does it stand up to scrutiny on the day of Christ? So go back to my friend Joseph. On judgment day, he'll stand before Jesus. And who knows? I don't know. What if Isaiah's here and Daniel's here? And what will Jesus say to our friend Joseph? Welcome home. I'm quoting scripture. Love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? Isn't that crazy? And so we get, we get the opportunity to live a life of holiness. Can I have the, the, the uh, well, I gotta watch what we're doing here. Forgive me. I got two minutes. And we're gonna do something else. Talk to me. What are you thinking about holiness? It's 30 minutes later. Where are you now, Lane? Well, a big thing Joseph talked about was that love led him to repent. Okay. Lane said... It was huge. So Lane said, interesting, thank you. I didn't communicate this. So when he saw, Joseph saw his sons, it was the love that he experienced that allowed him to confess what he has done. You know what he said to his sons? I'm quoting Joseph. My sons, I am so sorry I killed you. What drew him to say that? It was the love. The love he saw and experienced allow him to say to his children, I am so sorry. What does the scripture say? Love leads to repentance. One more, one person. Yep, Eric. Very good. Holy says, Holy, Eric said, holiness can seem unattainable. Last service, a young couple from Warren City was here, and they said one of the challenges they have always felt is they can't be perfect as God is perfect. Now, holy is God is holy. But you can love. Eric's point. Agapao. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You connect to Jesus. His Spirit lives. We can love. Very good. Let me lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to respond with some music, and then we're going to give a specific response to holiness. Let me show you what the, what the response is going to be. Can I have slide number, uh, number eight? So I'd like you to, after we're, we're going to sing something to kind of open our hearts, prepare our hearts a bit, a, a brief song. And then I'd like to ask if you'd be willing, with someone close by, after listening to, interacting with the things I have just said, what are your thoughts, your feelings about living a holy life so that you can flourish in exile. Worship leaders, you want to come on up? We offer a prayer. We're going to try and move into this, and then we're going to have a, some one song, neighborhood time, one song. Let's pray. 
Lord, we want to say thank you and we bless you that you are one who invites us into this deep, deep, holy, loving relationship. That you have modeled out a life of holiness and you've given us your example and your word and most of all your Holy Spirit that we too can be people who live holy lives and living as these loving ones we reflect you and point people to you. So help us, Lord. Help us. Fill us with your spirit to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.